All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts... My mic is muted. I'm Daniel Debona. <laughs> let's let's take that back. Hey, Good evening yes. and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Debona. That was so much smoother. Hey. <laughs> and David. And and we uh we are here this evening to talk about a very special movie to both of us because yes. this this is the first time Daniel that that we are coming into something as as virgins yes, together, yes. Four fresh eyes on a movie for the first time since we've been doing this, uh, or eight. Since, since, since we are both bespectacled uh, horror fanatics here, yes. Uh, so so this this was fantastic. This was your idea. Yes, I, I've. Uh, this was a movie that uh, I. I, I, it was something I wanted to see a while back when it came out and then just never got around to it. And then since we've been doing the podcast, like Netflix recommended it, I was like, Oh my God, I never, never seen that. I'm, that's what I'm going to recommend next when I get a shot. Yeah. I, um, I in fact bought this right when it came out. Oh, and had not had a chance to go back and watch it. Um, I've been a, a big fan of Guillermo del Toro for uh, just about as long as I've known about Guillermo del Toro. Uh, so uh, I saw Pan's Labyrinth, and I was like, "Fuck this! This guy's a fucking master." Yeah, like I don't, I don't know if it was Pan's Labyrinth or Hellboy for me, where I was like, "Yes, okay, yes." Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know which one came first. They're both right around that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I realized that he also directed Blade Two after the fact. I, honest to God, I don't think I ever realized that until right now. Yeah, which in my opinion is the superior blade. Oh, without a doubt. So yeah, much better. Yeah, um, and he's he's got such an an aesthetic. Like he's got a style all his own. Everything feels like a like a dark fantasy. Yeah, uh, like like um, like those old Grimm's fairy tales. You know okay, where? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, where it's uh, it's clearly fantasy, but like there's uh, there's a sense of, of terror here. Like yeah. you 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 should be afraid because uh, your life is in danger. And um, and then at the end of the story, maybe you live. I mean, pro- <laughs> pro- probably the witch is gonna die, but you know, um, maybe you get cooked in a in an oven. You know, that's that that sort of thing. So. Um, yeah, I, I've I've been looking forward to this. I'm glad that you sat me down and said, you know, here, no conjuring until we watch Crimson Peak. <laughs> uh, if you're here for the conjuring, we're slightly sad, but really we're laughing at the fact that we're disappointing you again. <laughs> we're never gonna do it. No, never. <laughs> so um 
to uh, to my knowledge, and I I, I know that there's uh, maybe one or two of Del Toro's movies that I haven't seen, but this is the first time that he does. Um, for sure, I know this is the first time he does gothic um, yes. horror. Uh, although I think to call it straight horror is a um, I mean, it, is, it, is, it, is, is doing the movie a disservice because it's go. so it's, much it's more. It's underselling it. Yeah, really. yeah, it's underselling it. Uh, but I think it's the first time he's also done Ghosts. You know, I was trying to think about that uh, as I was watching this. Um, and we're, we're going to get to talking about the ghosts a little bit later. But as I was as I was just enthralled with the way that the ghosts looked, um, I was like, I was trying to remember. I was like, I'm going back through like Guillermo del Toro creatures. And I was like, Okay, yeah, no, there's a guy with the eyeballs in his hands, right? But ghosts, yeah. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he has. Um, and I never saw uh, this one that uh, everyone always uh, sings its praises. So I do need to get around to it. Called uh, "Devil's Backbone." I never saw "Devil's Backbone" either, actually. Uh, so I don't know if I, I don't know if that is a ghost story. Um, I know it has to do with the Spanish Civil War. Um, so, uh, interesting, right? Um, but I, I really enjoyed this as a fan of, uh, we've, we've talked about this before. I'm a big fan of universal monster movies. I'm a fan of the hammer horror movies. Yes. Uh, per particularly those that lean really heavily into, into that Gothic horror. I, uh, I, I love movies, uh, movies that this clearly uh leaned into movies like the innocence movies like the haunting yeah uh, i'm 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 really into into that sort of stuff so um as a sort of gothic ghost story how do you think this worked so i think there's a lot of things about this that that works so so well um i i think that when you, you when you're looking at the the pacing I think that 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 sell, you know that that leans very heavily into that idea of that this gothic hammer horror film, uh, the the period piece obviously, um, you know that that fits that genre just perfectly, um, and, and you know as opposed to when we did Candyman and we were looking at like a new age gothic, this was a mm -hmm. very classical approach to gothic. Like we're going to put you in a house. That is dilapidated, like that house itself always looks like it's bleeding. So there's <laughs> there's always this eminent feeling of death. And then and and we're you're always gonna wonder what's just around the corner, right? So you you get this really great vibe out of so much of what's going on, um, just with the setting. Uh, we talked back when we did the shining, we talked about how the overlook became a character in the movie. Yes. I wouldn't say as much that the house in this one, Ard Ardell estate, um, it is a character, but it is it's, but I wouldn't say it's a character, but it's like a living, breathing setting. Mm -hmm. Um, just because of the things that are going on in it. And that is where, um, that is where you, you start to get that Gothic feel from. I, I, I am totally in agreement. I think that uh, there is so much about this that that works. Um, I'm a fan of, of gothic uh, fiction. Um, uh, Frankenstein is one of my favorite novels. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe is one of my favorite writers, and and I think that there's there's a lot here that uh, Del Toro pulled from as as a as a not so subtle nod. Yes. To uh, to these things and said like, hey, listen, this is what we're doing. 
you know, there's, there's no, there's no sort of, um, you know, tr trying to disguise what this movie is. Uh, it, it is, it is a Gothic, um, it is a Gothic love story. Uh, it is, it is a Gothic, uh, ghost story. And, um, I, I, for one think it really works as, as, as I was watching it last night, I was unsure how I felt about it. I was like, well, this is kind of like a rehash of, you know, many different Gothic horror movies that I've seen before. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, there's so many layers to this and you keep pulling these things back. And I started thinking about some like, fuck, this movie just wouldn't let me go. I kept thinking about it. Um, well after I should have gone to bed, uh, right. par partly because these ghosts were legit scary. Yes. Um, and, uh, and then today at, at work, I found myself thinking about it too. And anytime I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a moment, I would, I, I would stop and read up on it. Uh, just before we sat down to record, I was watching some of the special features on, um, on the Blu-ray and, uh, and there's some really, really good stuff in there. Um, so I, I, I think overall this, this movie works particularly well. Yeah. And, and outside of the idea of just this Gothic horror, I think that it does an amazing job telling what ends up being a horribly twisted love story. Yeah. Um, but it really does a great job as a romance film too. Mm -hmm. um, what It was funny because going into this movie, literally the only frame of reference I had, and this is a movie I've never heard. I, I mean, like I know it was, it was, you know, it was a big time release, but it's mm -hmm. not one that I ever hear just pop up in conversation. The only frame of reference I had for this was my parents went and saw it in theaters and my dad hated it. And oh. my mom was like, it just, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And, and I, and I, so I went back on YouTube and I watched some of the trailers that they did and they promoted this movie as a straightforward horror film. So yes. I can see why a lot of people would have been disappointed watching it the first time through because it, it, I, I like, it, obviously it has horror elements and it, and it fits here with our podcast, but I mean, it was a weird and twisted romance at it, you mm -hmm. know, at its core as so much. And so even even not just as a gothic horror, as this gothic romance telling, uh, you know, like, a, it, I, um, you know, like a love in the time of cholera type thing, like mm -hmm. where it's just it's it's well, look, you know, these people who are absolutely at their end. But look at how they can find each other and look at how, you know, whatever roadblocks end up in their way, they end up kind of overcoming them in some horribly weird ways, but they do end up kind of, you know, like finding love, the, the hoops and the loops that they go through to get there are awkward. But even out, even aside from just being a Gothic horror, it's, it works very well as a Gothic romance as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a good horror movie has, um, has many elements to it. Um, you know, un unless you're watching something like um, like a slasher movie where you're kind of just, you know, it's, it's popcorn fare. Right. Um, you know, a, a good monster movie, a good uh, a good ghost story. There's got to be something there because um, otherwise there's only so many ways that you can scare me. Yes. And um, and I think the true horror in in this movie lies not with the ghosts, but in the past and what, what, um, uh, what these ghosts help us unlock. Yes. As, as, as it were. 
um, the uh, the abuse suffered by the Sharps, um, you know the 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 absolute like horror of of the relationship. Oh my uh, gosh! Uh, what you a know, fucking reveal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and 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 you know, I I thought there was something there, and yet I I, I still was not prepared for it. Well, and um, and you know that that like uh, so. Early on, when um, when they first when uh, when the sharp when the, the he hires the detective, who by the way, it was driving me insane before I realized that he was the guy from uh, Torchwood. I'm uh, not not Torchwood. Um, that Doctor Who spinoff show that is completely escaping my mind right now. But the guy who played Mister Holly, the the private yeah, investigator. Yeah, what, was it not Torchwood? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, it is Torchwood. There we go. Okay, yeah, with right with one. Captain Jack. Yes, yeah, with Captain yeah. Jack, and it it drove me insane before it finally clicked for me that Mister Holly was the guy from Torchwood. I was, mm -hmm. and then I ended up looking. I was like, oh yeah, he's in like everything. Like that's yeah. just why he looks so familiar. He's just constantly there. But <laughs> when Mister Holly finds the document and he, they show it to uh to the father and and then he's like oh my god okay well then yeah and he you know breaks up their relationship and everything and i was like oh okay i bet i like i bet that's not really a sister i bet it's his wife and you know that's you, that's what i thought you, you get the feeling you know that, that you always got the feeling it's a con from the very from the funeral on mm -hmm. you always have the idea that it's some sort of that it's some sort of con but then to find out that it's like well it, it yeah it is his wife but uh, also it's his sister. And it was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like I was ready for the first left turn there. Like that was not surprising. <laughs> that, that's what we saw coming. You did a full U-turn on me here. Like I, I was not ready to completely 180 and be like, oh no, it is his sister and his wife. Like we've been telling you the truth, but yeah. also hiding the thing that you kind of knew was coming. It's um, yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a brilliant turn. Uh, which which reminded me uh, somewhat of, of Chinatown, that scene where uh, uh, where Jake Giddis is 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 slapping her, and, and you know she goes, you know she's she's my daughter, you know she's my sister, she's yeah. my daughter, she's my sister. <laughs> um, you know, it was that that sort of like what exactly is going on here right now? Um, there's that scene is so brilliantly shot because for starters, it's it's not an overly explicit scene, right? Uh, but it implies everything, right? Yeah. Well, she just she just says, uh, I, "I wish I could remember exactly what she says," but um, but she she says something like, "You're not really a sister. You're you're his wife." And she's like, "Oh, hunt. I like oh, essentially like the 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 period British version British version of oh, honey, but I'm also his yeah. sister." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. So there's there's that initial betrayal of you know because. Loki's face is is totally like in focus and you can tell who this is but she doesn't know who the woman is. Right. And 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 there's you know she's not obviously going to think that his sister's going to be there. Right. You know, uh in the process of, you know, uh giving him a hand job, right? And and then she turns her and, and it was it was cle so clearly staged. They wanted yes. her to see this. You know, I mean, down um, to the fact that they were singing loud enough that, that she was singing loud enough that she wanted it to echo through the house. She wanted her to come find them in this embrace. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's 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 so so many layers here. You know, and what what's crazy about that scene? So she walks in and, and they're you know, they're there and she's giving him a hand job and she's singing. And like that scene, when you remove the incest angle is like is really sweet. 
right? Like you could see that, like you could see that being in some sort of movie about like a guy who just returned home from war. And like, that's what he pays hookers to do. Right. It's like cuddle him and sing in his ear and just maybe jerk him off. <laughs> but like, but so at first you're like, Oh man. Oh, she, and then it's like, Oh God, that's his sister. This is getting so weird. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Oh boy. <laughs> So we're we're talking about how uh, you know we, we you started off and you were referencing um, you know being a fan of, of Hammer Horror and some things like that and so you know we've talked about uh, a lot of what Guillermo del Toro has done to put his spin on Gothic but I, I think it's really important for us to acknowledge you know what he does that's not necessarily his spin like what type of things did you notice that are trope might be the wrong word because you know it's not something that you see all the time but like the the staples of being gothic of being gothic or other films that he's that he pulled inspiration from the uh for me the uh and i'm so glad you worded it this way and we didn't talk about this before so i i, I love that you kind of set it up this way um the moment she arrives at crimson peak um and you're seeing soot leaves snow something falling through the uh you know the 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 foyer like what exactly is going on here and then he goes on to explain the state of this house all right over the course of the movie the house becomes more and more dilapidated yes right where the clay starts to seep through the walls it's not just coming up through the floors and the, the clays, the clay in the walls, like just mwah. Oh, yeah, such, it's 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 so perfect. perfect. And 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 there's there's such a disjointed look to to everything. It's it's like uh this was purchased in, in this period of time, and this was purchased in this period of time, and nothing has been touched. And what immediately came to mind was the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Fall of the House of Usher. Yes. And um in so many ways, I feel like this story is an homage to the fall of the House of Usher, because in the fall of the House of Usher, Roderick Usher and and his sister are tied to the physical house in a supernatural way. And the relationship that they share is definitely not a natural one. It's hinted that there might be something incestuous there, but we're not exactly sure what it is, right? Um, We do know that as Roderick's health declines, so too does the state of the house. And the narrator is not there for that long a period of time. Right. So um, over over the the few months that, uh, that Edith stays at, crimson peak we see this happen and 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 all i could think of was what a brilliant way to tip your hat to you know uh who is you know one of the undisputed masters of gothic fiction and uh and and do so in in a not so subtle way that does not influence plot but influences character development and and set design so that the audience who is in on this is like, oh man, that's so cool. Right. I get, I get what's going on here, 
and and those that don't don't have to stop and say, well, hang on a second, I don't get this. Okay, you know, I to me that was such a uh, such a brilliant thing to do, and it was done so well. It was done absolutely uh, beautifully. the The house itself is is a is a masterpiece of set design. Yes. Um, Del Toro says that there's um, there's always hallways where the ghosts appear. It says you know you uh, the I think the only oh, time yeah. you the only time you see a ghost appear. No, there's two two instances in which you don't see a ghost appear in a hallway. One is on the hill. <clears throat> right when, when she's pointing and the other time uh is in the stairwell yeah there's the one it's, it's like floating in like it's the open floating, spot in the middle right. of the house um but in every other instance the ghosts manifest in hallways be it her mother at the beginning of the movie or um you know the the you know numerous ghosts that are in crimson peak and there's that one hallway with with the wooden arches yes in in the crimson peak home and he says that the hallway was built specifically for it to not look right says it's it's just a little too short and a little too uh narrow he says it was really designed so that your focus goes 100% to the ghost or to edith and that there are <clears throat> many uh, those those pillars that hold them up. They're all, they're exactly the same, and they're repeated so often that the camera cannot focus. And so oh. every, every everything is just out of focus, giving it this like almost dreamlike quality, uh, which is is such a staple of of Del Toro's work. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know we we talk about the, the setting and that's something that you can always fall back on when it comes to a del Toro movie is the, 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 the sheer attention to detail that goes into every little bit of a town or, uh, you know, uh, we talked about pan's labyrinth earlier. You go back mm -hmm. and you watch that scene where they're in the, the dining hall with the, the eyeball monster hand, uh, the oh, eyeball what, hand a, what a great scene. And, but I mean, just, just the, the amount of detail and the way that that's all set up and that very much carries over into this, that sets this, this amazing setting. When, when I, when I was watching it and, uh, and so I, I had this idea, you know, because it's promoted, we, we keep using that word Gothic, but it's because this is probably the truest thing to use that word in a very long time. Um, so, you know, there are certain things I'm watching for, and there were certain, just, there were certain things that I kind of geeked out about it that I liked a lot, but probably the simplest thing that I feel like was, I mean, it was an overt homage. I mean, absolute love letter to the genre is early in the film. There are a couple times where they do like those keyhole like wipes where yes. like it, where it shrinks in and gets real small. And I mean, and it just, and it's like all of a sudden you're, you're watching an old universal monster movie. You're watching Bela Lugosi's Dracula and, yeah. and, and they just close everything into the one tight circle, then open it back up. And the scene has changed. I geeked out so hard for that. And it's such a, it's such a simple thing that if you're if you're not familiar with the genre or or you you know you, you might not even think anything of it you might go it's eh, kind of weird i don't know that i've ever seen that before <laughs> it's an odd choice but when you understand the reason that he did it it's so cool and it and it really drives home that idea that that this is about doing something that he grew up loving and doing it well 
um, as you there, there, there are some other little things like that, um, that, that reminded me of, of some of the older movies, but that one, it just really, really stuck out. I loved, I loved the way that, uh, when they were in the town, when they had to go to the, the depot or whatever to pick up the, the post office, the, yeah, yeah. The post office. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they ended up staying the night there, like the entire way that that was lit. And, and and everything looked was completely different than the house, but not just mm-hmm. in in architecture. Like the coloring was different, and so that really it was sold, very natural tones. Yes, yeah, and that really sold the idea of you know how important and how weird this house was. Like you, you at the beginning of the movie, every everything's kind of naturally colored, and and then they and then they go to the, then they go to the the estate. And everything's weird. And it always feels weird. Not just because there's a giant hole in the ceiling and the elements are constantly falling in. But it's just, it's always weird. And so, but then, but then you get into that place where that's where it's been for so long, it stops feeling weird and you get comfortable with it. So then they give you one scene where he takes her out because she needs some air. Mm -hmm. um, And, and then not only does she get some air and get a chance to clear her head, but then we're reminded of the fact that that house isn't reality. It's its own reality. It's right. it's its own thing. This is what the real world looks like. Remember this from the beginning of the movie? Like, this is what it looks like to light something with a candle. Um, you know, and so when there's a scene, one of the things, you know, just, just a, a picturesque uh, uh, example of, of things that being classic, the look of the candelabras that they were always carrying, that she was always carrying around. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because the movie is clearly not, lit by natural light this isn't um this isn't stanley kubrick's uh barry linden right <laughs> um but there is such a um like a painterly aesthetic to the beginning of the movie with uh with all of the candelabras the candles uh the chandeliers and then when we move to the allerdale estate all we really have is like that that one candelabra that, that one. she takes and there's only she takes the one. around with her yeah and 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 the the lighting around her is so natural right but everything outside of like you know the the three lumen that that thing you know <laughs> generates is is just it's it's all very very dark it's you know lots of blues and lots of greens and these these aren't natural colors these right. are colors that we typically associate with something a little more supernatural if you're if you're watching live which if you're not why the hell are you not you should be watching live with us don't just listen to the podcast uh watch it live on on YouTube or Facebook comment and we'll talk to you Yes, um, we uh, we see this here in uh, in front of us with the uh, with the actual uh, home in in this sort of like unnatural blue. Yes. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, that, like, uh, there's a scene. Oh, sorry, the dog is pouncing on. Me. There's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he needs. Um, there's. A oh, scene- s- speaking of. Yes. That dog. My dog. No, no, not oh, your, I mean, dog, your, yes. your dog's great. That dog, um, uh, what, did she, what did she name it? She named it something very normal. Yeah, I, I don't even remember. I can't remember the name of that dog. But, um, man, that moment when she's playing fetch with the dog and she's with the dog and that ball comes rolling yeah, in in the like, bathroom. She's like, where's the ball? And then it comes flying into the room. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, nope. 
there's a I'm out of here. There's a scene where she's <laughs> she's startled awake and she's hearing all these horrible noises and uh and she gets up and she grabs, you know, the one candelabra, the one that she takes everywhere with her, and she falls and it goes out. And then we're really bathed in how the eerie glow that is the house. You know, obviously it's it's a movie, and you know, it's it's they're not they're not selling us on the lights go out so you can't see anything, but they they made it they made you very aware of the fact that you it didn't feel weird it didn't feel like you should be in the dark because like wow this house kind of glows blue like yeah. that's that's so strange but it fits it makes sense for what was going on uh, and but then when she finally goes down into the mines for the first time and she gets down there then we are assaulted with another color palette where yeah. there are there are these bright pinks and and you're and and it's it's almost as if that elevator doesn't just go down into the mine it's 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 like a portal and it's it's a very stark reminder of the fact that yes the house is falling apart and all of that but this secret that's buried underneath is so important like they wanted to make sure you didn't just view it as another part of the house that that you were to this was it was uh it was like walking into uh frankenstein's frankenstein's laboratory frankenstein. frankenstein i did yeah i sure as hell did i was like walking into frankenstein's laboratory i, I mean you you you've got what is you know this dilapidated house but then you got down there and everything was clean and and every and like I said, and it was bright, even though it was underground. And the 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 color palette is all very new and very different. And and again, you're reminded of how weird everything looked in the house. Every time you got away from it, it served as a reminder of how weird the house was. Yeah, um, there's this sense that the not in so far as like the shining where the layout of the actual hotel does not make sense, right? Um, and, and maybe not even in so far as, um, like, the haunting of Hill House, right. where, um, you know, there, there are rooms that seem to appear and disappear uh, and stuff like that. But there is a sense that the layout of the house doesn't quite, makes sense like there are wings to this house that we never see um and there are so many keys and yet they don't visit these parts of the house but what is really falling apart is the center of this house right right um and then the you mentioned that the mine is underneath the house and yet we see um we see the light shining in right where the mine should be is like directly underneath the kitchen, the the living room. Like there, there should be no place for light here, right? You know, uh, and and it's it's not like it starts underneath the house and and goes under, uh, you know, open land or something like that. It it there is no physical way for this to be happening. Yeah. So. And yeah, and it's, it's it's so weird just the the way that 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 she gets down there like I said and just just and you see it and like you're right it it seems like something that shouldn't exist but it's not presented in a way like some of those other things where you're you're reminded that it shouldn't exist they just leave you with this eerie uncomfortable feeling that it shouldn't be able to be there right yeah 
Um, and so, uh, you e- know, th- eerie. eerie's the right way, I think, to, to describe it. You know, and there's there, there's a couple other things that, that you get to here um, where, where you're looking at when you're looking at, like I said, like your gothic type tropes, um, this this love story that that seems like it should never be. But, you know, they're they're going to you know, they're going to fight against all odds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 guy down on his luck, but he used he comes from a family that was of means falling in love with the, the girl who is still of means things like that. Uh, you know, the, the whole flowers in the attic aesthetic, not so yes. much a, a throwback, but also it has a place where you're like, Hey, wait, I know a story about kids that spent all their time in the <laughs> attic and fell in yeah. love with each other. <laughs> yeah. There, there definitely was that throwback there. Yeah. And so you just, you, you get a lot of these things in it that, you know, we, we, it, it the, these, these two topics kind of running together. It's, you can tell so often when, when we do these, when we, when we do this podcast and we're talking about things or just when you're talking about anything with anybody, the things that end up being good are the things that you can tell come from a place of love. And you watch this movie and you know that Guillermo del Toro absolutely loves uh, you know, his inspiration, I won't say source material, uh, but his inspiration, mm-hmm. you can tell that he loves all of that. And he wanted to bring it back to the forefront. Uh, there was, there was a very brief time. Um, I think it was a little bit before this movie came out when like uh, the woman in black came out and there was yeah. this idea that maybe hammer horror was, was something the world was ready for again. And then it was like, Oh, well maybe you should have, you know, led with a better foot forward than the woman in black. But you know, it was there's this there was this idea that there was this there was this classic version of horror that was different from what we were getting because these started these were coming out right around the time when horror had just started to become the gore fest. Yeah. You know, we we were getting into things that, that I don't even really consider horror anymore. But people were calling them scary movies like Hostel. I love Hostel, but I don't consider it. It's not a horror movie. You know, it's it's a gore. It's uh, yeah, yeah, torture and, porn. And so, um, so it was, you know, like there was this very brief time. Now, a horror has taken a good turn, and and you know, we've talked about some of that stuff now. But there was this very brief time where it was like maybe, maybe this is the future of horror is going back and remembering what made it great. And maybe there's an audience out there like you and I who fell in love with this stuff as a child, and that we can we can stir that while making it feel fresh. And what one of the things that Del Toro talks about frequently is that when he makes his uh, horror movies, or at the very least, movies that have horror elements to them, um, he uses himself as the as the sort of guinea pig. And he says that uh, he imagines that if something scares him, it will scare others. I would imagine that anything and, that scares Guillermo del Toro is going to scare a whole <laughs> lot of people. Yeah, and, and I I think that's um that's a as a filmmaker you you have to as, as an artist you you have to kind of say does does this does this do anything for me right right and um to kind of transition into uh the the next topic here which is the ghosts themselves ghost aspect of the story. Um, you know, he, he chose something that clearly scares him. Um, I thought the ghosts were terrifying in this movie. Um, what, what do you think here? I, so 
from the very first time that we that we see a ghost, you know, the movie opens and it immediately makes you aware of the fact that there are going to be ghosts here. It's like the first monologue, right? Mm-hmm. And so the first time that we see the ghost, we see the ghost of this little girl's dead mother. And before you even see the ghost, you get this incredible silhouette at mm. the end of a hallway, and and it does the you know very Nosferatu, yeah, the the long fingers, yeah, the the, the, the yeah. silhouette of the long fingers and stuff like that, and then and she's kind of trying to hide, and you're not sure if you're actually going to see it or anything, and then you get this incredible ghastly figure, um, but not maybe ghastly's not maybe ghastly's not the right. It's not grotesque, so I'm going to stick with ghastly because it's not grotesque, but it is horrifying. And so not only does it come down the hall at this little girl and she realizes it's her mother, but to it truly like a child who has been scared, she just rolls over out of sight, out of mind, you yeah. know, like the blanket will protect me type thing. And this ghost gets into bed with her, wraps its hand around her and starts whispering. And it set this amazing tone for what we what what could be expected. From ghosts yeah. of that in this movie, and from then on, they just they just got more and more frightening, and and weirder and weirder. Um, the first time that she's in the bathtub, and we see the red one. Well, I guess it's the second time we see the red one because she kind of mm-hmm. sees it in the elevator. Yeah, but the uh, the movement of it is is so it's it's, it's so stilted. And weird. And yeah, stilted. Yeah, it's it's so weird. I think they did a great job of not reinventing the wheel um you know the idea of the ghost is the idea of a ghost but these were definitely crimson peak ghosts you know there, mm-hmm. there's nothing offhand that i'm directly going to compare the visual of these ghosts to the closest thing i could come to was there were certain moments where the way the ghost moves and the way that i saw the ghost it reminded me of peter jackson's frighteners um uh, every once in a while i got a couple of frighteners vibes but for the most part like i you know that is a ghost that i can 100 associate with this movie and not expect to see anywhere else i um yeah these this was such a unique take on on ghosts you mentioned something that at first i found terrifying and once we come to know what these ghosts want uh to me makes a hell of a lot of sense which is that her her ghost mother crawls into bed with her and wraps her arms around her now i can't think of anything scarier than than a ghost climbing into bed with you (laughs) and 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 it's it's uh it's it's ghastly fingers like wrapping itself around your arm like that is just um I've, I've in fact had nightmares about this. Yeah, you know, at you least know? at least when a ghost got into bed with Ray Stant, it gave him a BJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I completely <laughs> forgot about that scene. It, every time I watch that movie, I forget that that scene's coming up. Yeah, me too. I like uh, a couple summer. Uh, I say a couple summers ago. Time is um, a flat circle. Um, a while <laughs> back, when the when the the female uh, led Ghostbusters was coming out, and so mm-hmm. my my oldest son wanted to watch Ghostbusters. We're watching. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a great kids movie. And then it gets to that part, and I was like, why do I always it? forget that this scene <laughs> <Yeah>. exists? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's it's probably for a reason. It doesn't serve <laughs> it doesn't serve a purpose. I I, I love Ghostbusters, but. Um, uh, the scene should have been cut. Should have been yeah, left yeah. on the cutting room floor. Um, 
when we find out that these ghosts all have good intentions and that they are in fact reaching out to Edith because Edith is one of the few people who can actually see them. Yes. Right. Um, and interact with them. We understand why her ghost mother got into bed with her because this is what a mother does to like, um, to calm her child. Right. She's grieving, right? right? She's, she's lost her mother. And because for those that have passed time means nothing. This warning about crimson peak is coming now. Right. And, 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 and so she's, she's getting into bed with her to make her feel better and is telling her, beware Crimson Peak, right? That moment of realization, like we know it as the audience. Right. Like, okay, we know that this, there's something fucked up happening in this place. And they haven't said Crimson Peak yet, but we know it's going to be said. And when it is, it's the, you know, aha moment. He right? said the thing. Um, yeah, he said the thing. Um, but for her, it's, it is such a terrifying moment such an absolutely terrifying moment and 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 she realizes right then that you know these uh these ghosts don't mean any harm right and uh there there's a a comment that you made in there that that i love and that's something that is that's one of my favorite things when discussing uh the supernatural and this idea of of you know like all realities existing you know kind of uh like like overhead sheets that you lay one on top of the other and depending on where you are you can see down what's below you and so this idea that um that that a spiritual energy that still exists that the time is meaningless it presents this really fascinating idea because that my first thought was like okay she's a kid and i know that whatever crimson peak is is going to be when she's grown like how does this this ghost know this and so it takes this idea that 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 time only exists because of our place in it. And when you're removed from that particular area of where you are and you are moved to a slightly different plane where time doesn't exist or exists differently. So you're mm-hmm. seeing the past, present and future like all at one time type thing. So it's that idea of a ghost you know you watch a like a a show like supernatural and a ghost is really just presented as the idea of like something awful happened to them so they're stuck in this place in time but this idea of a ghost being a a portent of the future um and and being able to give warnings it's one of the reasons i'm obsessed with the idea of mothman um because just just this idea that that something could love a, a person or a group of people so much that it is aware of what's going to happen and it's using all of its energy because you've got to assume that and i don't know that this is headcanon i guess for me uh, about ghosts but you, you've got to assume that it, the reason we don't see ghosts all the time if they exist is because they have to expel um a certain amount of energy to exist on this plane to to come through the veil and so the idea of a ghostly mother or um, a, a wronged woman using the energy they have 
to warn someone about something that's going to happen to them. Um, because I also, I also tend to think of this idea that, that it's, uh, it's like a, it's like an energy bar in Mega Man and, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's going to run out. So if, if there is any conscious thought into this, which they're taking the time to warn this idea that they would burn such a chunk of this energy they have to exist at all to warn someone is fascinating to me. Um, we get a sense that that might be the, the you know, to, to use your word, the canon of, of, of Crimson Peak because these ghosts appear, they have a very brief message to give, and then they make their way back down into the clay pit. Right. And, and they stay there until the next apparition. Uh, so it's it is entirely possible that 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 is what they were going for here that you know there is this tremendous amount of energy and um uh, we we always see them with the exception of um which one is that is it the the italian woman the one who's ne- floating in the stairwell yeah, yeah yeah she never she never says a word uh, but the other ones, they're always like an extreme agony, extreme yes. pain. Uh, and, and that comes out, you know, there's, there's a lot of energy that needs to be, uh, put forth for, for them to be there. And when you, when you look at the fact that the first time she sees her mother, it was not, it was right after her mother's funeral, that ghost moves much more smoothly and is much more defined um, in what it is that that first shot of the mother ghost there, there's very obviously like some sort of like black gown you assume kind of what mm-hmm. she was buried in um, you can see ribs and things like that and she moves very smoothly through that hallway but then as you get to the ghosts later on that are trying to give these warnings they're fighting to get up through the floor you know yeah. they're moving we talked about how she moves like she's in agony it's very stilted they're everything they're doing it it's so stressful um to their being that that you get this idea that that they're you know they're they're tired they're trying to keep this from happening again but it just keeps happening there's there's also another differentiating factor in the ghosts which i picked up on right away and it took me a little while to figure out what you know to to decode it i think i have the uh, the english teacher in me is uh, is trying I'm to ready. look at the at the symbolism here and um and i think i have it so the ghosts are different colors right right uh all of the ghosts that are killed in crimson peak are um are red right they are th- thrown into these clay pits right uh, the red could be the clay just dripping off off of them, right? But they were also murdered violently, right? right? And and red is anger, red is aggression, right? Red is 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 that violence? It's that it's that act of murder. Um, whether it was a um, you know a cleaver to the head. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which is fucking brutal, and it's still just sitting there, like if you right. just see it. Uh, whether whether it's a cleaver to the head, or whether it's uh it's it's poison to the stomach, you are getting it somehow, 
right? Yeah. And and so so therefore they are red, right? Um, Thomas is white. Yes. Right. And and I was like, well, why would Thomas be white? He was complicit in what was going on. But there's a change that happens in Thomas. When he spends the night with Edith, there's uh, you can tell that he is genuinely falling in love with her, I think. Um, and and there's that sense of betrayal when when he tells uh Lucille. Uh, well, you know, we can we can leave this place behind. We'll, you know, uh, we'll all go somewhere, anywhere. And she says, "We, we, yes." And and she understands that, you know, for him, there is no life without Edith. Now, um, he truly was trying to find a way to save her. Yeah, uh, and and to find a way to to save um, uh, Doctor Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I was going to say Jax from Sons of Anarchy. That's yeah, that, yeah, yeah. For, forgot his his name. Uh, Alan, it was Alan, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, uh, I mean, he, he he even tells him like, "You're the doctor. Tell me where to tell me where to stab." You know, so he's he's making these moves. He may not be redeemed because he's he's still a ghost at the end, right? Uh, but he is white. He appears just long enough to make a difference and, and save Edith's life. Right. And then he disappears. He's gone. So it's a very different kind of ghostly apparition than, than the ones that were murdered and, and tossed in the clay pits. Right. Um, he had sort of made his peace with what was going on. Right. Um, but then that still leaves two black ghosts the mother right. and Lucille I'm like, well, how can they both be black? What's going on here? What I came up with was that they were both rotted where one was rotted physically from disease by, 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 di by disease. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, it was a, a, a black, black, black cholera, black cholera. Yeah. yeah. The other one was rotted on the inside. Ah, and and so there was like where one did not have a choice to have her body physically rot. The other one didn't have a choice to have her spirit rot. OK. And uh, that sort of the the abuse at the hands of their mother. Turned her into this thing, this rotting thing where uh, the only solace she could seek was in this incestuous relationship with her brother because their father was always traveling. Right. right. He, he, he mentions that uh, Thomas mentions their father was always traveling. Uh, you know, they, they had to pay for, you know, the things in the house somehow. Uh, so to me, that's, that's why they are both black as they're both victims one a victim of disease, the other a victim of abuse, although she is an abuser herself. Right. So there's there's that, you know, um, the sort of victim aspect of it where there is a there is a rot that was brought into her, but she amplified it. 
Okay, I can I can see where you're going with that because I was thinking the same type of thing about the 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 mother ghost being black um, because of the disease, but then I couldn't find as you started talking about the colors, but I couldn't find a way to link it to the the sister being uh, Lucille being the the ghost at the end, um, stuck you know forever playing piano um, right in the house, and so I, I like that I like that a lot that that makes a lot of sense, and it's you know we we talked about on this one when we talked about um, death of the author. When we were mm-hmm. doing uh, when we were doing sleepaway camp, right? Like whether or not that was the intention, the fact that there's enough there for you to pick up those pieces and put it together, I think makes it a very valid argument. Yeah, I um, I, I I think so too. And, and then there's there's also the fact that to go back to um, gothic cinema, have you ever seen uh, the Mask of the Red Death, the yes. uh, the the Roger Corman film? Uh, so the, the way that the Red Death is presented there looks eerily similar to the way that some of these ghosts are presented here. So we have not only um, the you know the the House of Usher as it were, but we also have this Red Death figure, uh, multiples of it that that appear, and and their their warnings. You know, it's uh, it's it's all about the past. Uh, and Edith says it herself at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's not a ghost story. It's a story that happens to have ghosts in it. Right. And um, and, you know, and he and uh, Loki makes, uh, you know, he, he, he you know, and he, he references how where he's from, you know, ghosts are not something to just be taken lightly. And so you the idea of there being symbolism in the, the way that the ghosts look and move all tracks. Yeah. So and so so we're talking so as we're talking about the fact that that some of the ghosts are different colors, what we what we get to in this movie is that everyone in some shape or form really in this movie is a victim to something. Um, mm-hmm. But even with that at its core, you know, we've taught, we talked so much about the horror elements of this movie. This is a horror movie podcast, but when it really comes down to it, this is, it's a romance movie. Uh, there's, there's, there's very obvious love stories, um, whether they, whether they, you know, work or don't work or if mm-hmm. they're twisted, but what we have here is a love story. So when you look at those elements and the way that the relationships are presented, how do you think that the movie works as a love story? I I think that it works best as a love story. Um, and I think the best love story in it is the love not between Thomas or Edith or even Thomas and Lucille, but the love that Thomas and Lucille have for the house. Oh. Ni- neither, neither is willing to leave this house really, right? Um, how much money has Thomas sunk into this contraption, which clearly does not work? Right. Right? Uh, that, that invention of his has, has doomed them, you know? Um, and as he travels from city to city, country to country, trying to gather the funds for, for this, this invention that, that will not work, um, he 
is forced to continue to partake in this sort of, uh, you know, sinister act of, um, you know, seducing these women, marrying them, stealing their money, and and you know, continuing this incestuous relationship with with Lucille. But it's all a means to an end, and the end is the sharp home. Right, uh, we we hear about this almost right from the very beginning, when when Edith runs into Alan and he says, "Oh well, you know, my family just came back from England. Uh, you know, the, the they're talking to some baronet who's a baronet, right. and she explains she was like a baronet is someone who lives off the land, someone who exploits the land, exploits the workers. Right, their love for each other." is trumped only by the love of this land. They can't let it go. So much so that all of their sins, the, the things that they, um, th that they do, the naughty things that they do, they hide in the land. They throw it into the clay. And when the clay comes out and, and it starts to haunt them, right? Um, well, they leave. They go find someone else to do this to and start over again. Because that they can't let go of this land. To me, that was the 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 best love story in here. Because um, I mean, there 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 is incest in there, so you, you kind of have to <laughs> accept accept that there is a facet of this that that is um, wrong, right? But there's there's also something to it that is unconventional and quite gothic, right? In the same way where, um, you know, Dracula is tied to his land. He must take, you know, the dirt from Transylvania with him to, to England, right? The way that Frankenstein is tied to his land, right? Even young Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> uh, he, uh, Frankenstein comes back to his land, you know. Ultimately, that uh, gothic stories have to be about the home it has to be about the land because it's atmospheric it has it has to go back to that somehow but there's another love story i also really really liked and okay, it's well, also an, okay but, yeah, yeah go ahead before go ahead. you know i just i just want to say i've been doing podcasts with you for a while now we've been friends for a good long time honest to god i think this is the best take like i've ever heard you have on anything this that that was an incredible breakdown oh uh, thank like, you like that that just blew me away. Like it never, <laughs> it was not a thought that ever crossed my mind. And like, by the time, like you finish it up, like I'm so on board with how amazing that is. Like I am now to the point where I'm like, I got a point or two, but I'll get to him eventually. Like that was, <laughs> that, that was so good because I didn't even think about it like that. Like th this, this, this idea that, that all of this, all of this being, being terrible and, and being with your sister and, and, and all of these horrible things that they've had to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got a comment from Andy here. Yeah. Andy says that we should tag team and teach this podcast as an online college course. Uh, great job. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Um, <laughs> but this, this idea that, that, that all of that, it doesn't just boil down to his love for his sister or that they want to get rich again, but it's all because of the love they have for this house is that is, that is, that is far and away the most incredible take possible for this. I, I thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> um, 
do you, do you want to do you want to go into one of your points before um, I, I get so, to my other one? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, while we're talking, you know, obviously, you know, we're talking about the, the people in their house. So it's with uh, the the obvious there, there's two obvious choices here when you're when you're talking about uh, the romance and the love. Um, but one, though, the way I was going to go with with it being an unconventional kind of take was this uh the the love whether it be romantic or platonic you're never 100 percent sure between um edith and dr mcmichael mm-hmm. um you always kind of get the idea that it that he may be romantically interested in her but also you know that that's her dad's physician and their family seemed to go way back but this concept that you know he loved her so much that he she moved literally across an ocean and he like solved a cold case murder to to (laughs) save her this this idea you know everybody else in the town is like well he was old and he slipped on the water and hit his head on the sink time to move on and he was like "Eh, really his head was bashed in pretty brutally and he stuck with it and then he literally crossed oceans to save this girl and he he shows up at the the post office and they're like it's storming your horse can't be out there he's like fuck y'all i'll walk they're like it's four hours he goes i better get okay. going <laughs> like, like th- this idea that it, it, it reminded me of that scene in uh in in empire strikes back where uh the the one rebel pilot keeps telling han solo that he can't go out and look for for luke skywalker right and he's like you know y- y- your tonton will freeze to death he goes well i'll see you in hell yeah exactly <laughs> like just this this concept that that even if he didn't have any romantic inclinations this was somebody that that he knew and that he loved and he didn't want to see anything bad happen to them and so you know he's he's doing everything he can he even immediately plays into their game you know like oh she fell and she's injured and he's mm-hmm. like oh okay well i'll take care of her because i believe you and and he's and he's going along with everything and just just to try to save her life is 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 a great take is an is a great idea to kind of twist this you know romance yes it's it's a romance movie but also there is a love story there even if it is platonic or brotherly you know there there there's this idea of protecting somebody that you love even if it involves crossing an ocean and walking for 4 hours in the snow yeah i'm i'm with you on that i i thought that was a great love story um Charlie Hunnam was great in that role. He was, um, yeah. He, he, uh, he looked weird without a beard. Also, yes, but whatever. yes, also yes. You know, <laughs> it, it, I mean, even as fucking King Arthur, he had a beard. You know, yeah. um, and and he was great in that. Um, yeah, he's he's one of these actors. I think is uh, is often overlooked. You know, but um, but there's there's a subtlety to his his acting, a nuance to it, and I I, I think he always does a great job. He did a great job here. Um, I hope they end up together. Yes, me too. I like, yeah. I like to think that, that they do. Yeah, this movie doesn't need a sequel, but I would like, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, they're, they're together. Right. Write me like a three-chapter epilogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the other love story that struck, uh, like, kind of, like, struck a chord with me was... Um, the love of the artist with the art. Oh. Um, so we, the story, the movie opens with the kind of um, 
like bound cover of a book saying Crimson Peak, right? right? And uh, and then, you know, page turns, we have like a little, you know, lithographic uh, illustration. And then here we are um, in, in New York, right? Um, or Philadelphia, was it? I can't remember now. I, I don't either. Like, I just, you know, I was like, okay, it's, you know, early, early America. Early America, yeah. And um, we see we see Edith, who has written this uh this great story and one of the scenes that most interests me because we have no idea how earnest uh thomas is being is when uh her father tells him to thoroughly break her heart right um Thomas takes uh, takes Edith, you know, she's going up the stairs after he said that he's going back to England and uh, he proceeds to rip her book to shreds. Oh, my God. That that like, you know, we we, we sit here and a couple times a week. We create something that we just we just pray that people are going to like, like I, like the idea that somebody would like listen to this and then like come to my house and knock on my door and be like, let me tell you how fucking terrible your <laughs> <laughs> like 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 it just it just it I like the idea of it just tears me to shreds. Yeah, yeah, and and that is you know, and and this is us just having a conversation. Right. You know, um imagine pouring yourself into something and the revision and the editing that must go into this. I mean, it's um I have started and abandoned I don't know how many novels in my life, you know? So I, I, I've, I've never actually finished one. So the fact that she actually finished one, like, God, that's incredible. And he sits here and he tells her all of these, you know, uh, really hurtful things, but is there a hint of truth to it? Right. To, to me, that's what kind of like, there, there is a light bulb that goes off. Right. What is the loss that she suffered in life was her mother, right? So she has experienced loss, but she talks about needing to have a romantic interest put into this, right? And because there wasn't one present. And by the end of this movie, she's had a romantic interest and there is one present in what we're seeing, right? right? Um, There's also... Um, she seems to not really have an understanding of ghosts, even though she claims that there are ghosts in this story. And it's not until later on that she understands what ghosts mean to her. She does know that she believes in them, but what does that belief mean? Right? People who are religious will tell you often that, you know, they came to to God later in life, right? You know, that they they rediscovered or were reborn and they they found what that meaning was, right? Um, and I think that, that that's kind of what happened to her where she discovered at Allerdale Estate, well, this is, this is what a ghost is. That story that I had, right? The one that was being tossed into the furnace, right? Into the fireplace. Right. Um, that was not the best that I had in me. It might've been the best that I had in me then, but it's not the best that I have in me now. And so at the end of the movie, when we see that there has been a book published, 
that it is called Crimson Peak. I get the sense that there is this sort of like metafictional thing going on where we have seen the movie play out. We have right. seen the we, we've we've seen we've seen her story play out. This is her book in film form and that she persevered and that despite the criticisms that you know were levied upon her despite this crazy ordeal whether true or not true she has written this incredible story that has enthralled us all so that that love for her fiction i mean and she she clearly knows who she wants to be right from the very beginning right um she's compared by mcmichael's mother to uh who is it jane austen yes. right at the beginning yeah. and she says uh she says oh you know she died a spinster and she says well i like to think of myself not as jane austen but as mary shelley but as mary shelley who died uh, a widow and of course at the end of the film she is a widow. So, you know, there's there's so many things here that to me lead me to believe that this is her story and that the love that she has, not for anything else or anyone else, but for the story, for the art of writing, right, is uh is above all for her for for her. And um as as someone who appreciates uh a, a good gothic story, I I really appreciate this. That's yeah. That's uh, that's a really good like. I, and I I do I I I absolutely think you're right in the fact that that you know when we we start with the book opening and then as you watch the credits you see that that this is you know we're very much that is why the story for the most part is always presented to us through her eyes. We occasionally mm -hmm. get some scenes um, that's just Thomas and Lucille, but this this idea that most of what we're seeing is what's actively happening to her lends itself to that as well. Yeah. And and interestingly, whenever we see Thomas and Lucille, um, there's no plot given away. Right. Very true. The only time that the plot is ever propelled is is by Edith, by whatever she discovers or, or anything like that. Yep. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I like it, too. Yeah, so I and so I think you're right. You know where we started with all this. I, I it absolutely works best as a love story, as a, as a romance movie, and you know I it's it, it's evidenced by the fact that we just talked all this time about it being, and we never even just talked about the relationship between Edith and Thomas or Thomas and Lucille. There's yeah, there's those layers. We talked very early on about as you started to watch this. It's it's impossible to not peel this movie back. As yeah. you go, because it's they it it's begging for that. It's it's absolutely just pleading with you to please look at what's happening here. Don't just watch this movie and enjoy it, but explore what you're seeing, mm -hmm. and 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 watch it over again. Yeah, uh, this is the kind of movie that I'm I'm already itching to get back into and watch again. Agree. Um, and and as with um, any talk of of love. Violence must come immediately after. Of course. <laughs> um, I, I thought that the uh, the violence, the kills in this movie were were pretty good. What would what, you think of? I mean, because it wasn't gory, but there there was a fair share of, of violence in this. Maybe a little more than we usually get in 
and gothic horror movies. So what we get here is uh, is an example of make it count when when you're mm-hmm. going to do something violent. Like it was when it would happen, it would happen suddenly. It would it would be it would be stark and frightening. And they didn't have to make it real gory because just when it happened, it was it was enough to scare you. And and then it was just those moments that oh yeah, that's right. This movie like it it is this this is scary and people are dying and and mm-hmm. so they they did a very they did a great job with with making it it was important. It wasn't ever just a kill because it had been twelve and a half minutes since we'd killed it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was every single every single death every single injury propelled the story uh down uh, and sometimes even the ones that weren't kills as you know the with charlie hunnam charlie hunnam gets stabbed twice yeah. um neither of them kill but they're both so vital to the story and the fact that they're not death flows is what makes them so vital the fact that um the fact that she stabs him um under the arm because she oh wants, the, yes right here in the yes, armpit oh my god she wants to force thomas to finish the job and that's what you know that's when we find out that she's actually the one who killed edith's dad and you know she's type she's the only one who ever gets her hand dirty so she purposefully delivers a blow that won't kill him to force thomas to do that um which you know counterproductive to what she wanted drives that wedge even further between them and makes him realize that maybe this isn't necessarily the life he wants then the second time that charlie hunnam gets stabbed it's when he he tells him you're a doctor you know where do i stab so you'll live and so he he stabs him again but there's but again it, it does so much to propel the story in that moment that we you know the fact that he didn't die at these these two stabbings were so huge to the character development of of thomas and of their relationship it was the last it was the last vestige Mm-hmm. of of what was going to be their relationship was when he decided to go against his sister and you know and maybe realized it wasn't in him to 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 be the one who did the killing maybe realized that it just wasn't the life he wanted to lead anymore but so you know like those like but yeah you're right like that con- oh, getting stabbed like in the armpit like you can feel that right and they yeah. they they're so close on that shot when he shows them how to get like right in there in his ribs so it won't be uh, so it won't be fatal. Like they're they're all all the you know the 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 kills, the gore, the stuff like that. It all matters. None of it is something that that you feel like might have necessarily been done just for shock value. It, it's all important to the story, which I, I think is is a, is a refreshing take sometimes. Uh, so often when you watch these, when you watch a horror film, it's like somebody just gets killed because, like I said, well, you got you got to make the audience jump sometimes. Yeah, but when they did these things in the movie, it furthered the story, and I think that that is something that we don't always get. That is that is something that's not used as often, and I think that that makes the 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 little bit of gore, the 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 killings that we have in this movie, uh, that much more impactful. I I agree. the The other thing that jumps out at me with these kills is how brutal they are they're not um they're not easy uh so often in horror the uh the violence looks effortless yes you know um 
Jason will pick up a machete and just, you know, whack and done. Um, But this is, this is not that Um, like Thomas needs to make it look as if he has just murdered him. You know, he really leans in on on that stabbing, you know, Uh, when, when Lucille is killing Edith's father, I mean, there, there is, there is a brutality there. Yes. You know, it's it's almost as if she's a woman possessed. But when we see the shot from a different angle later in the film, it's quite clear that she's like calm, cool, and collected, you know, before this thing happens. Um, you know, she just she uses every ounce of energy to 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 make this happen. Um and she, she does so when she pushes Edith off the uh the balcony. Right. You know, she she comes at her with everything she's got and she she, you know, she pushes her out. The fight at the end of the of the movie in, uh, you know, on, on the grounds of, of Crimson Crimson Peak is is another perfect example. Like this is really brutal. There's 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 lunging, there's running. They're all out of breath. I mean, this is this is violence that cannot be avoided, I guess. Right. Um at least not in the eyes of the people who are committing these acts of violence, right? It is for their very survival that, that this is going on, whether it's Lucille killing, uh, you know, Mr. Cushing or whether it's um, Edith killing Lucille at the end. Right. It's they, they, they do. And I mean, like, uh, and like when Thomas gets stabbed, like in the head, like you know, that's another oh. one where it's like it's like God, that is like you know, you 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 tap your head and you feel that, and it's like that's just skin and bone, like the 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 effort that it would take. And, but I mean, but it's it's obvious that it was there. There was such a there was such a rage mm-hmm. um, behind that that they did. It looks like it took a lot of effort, but you're never, but you never go. Ah, she couldn't really stab him in the head like that. That's crazy. Like you you you're you're made to come face to face with what being so obsessed um, with, with something can, can do to you. And it's totally believable that this otherworldly like strength can be gained um, when you see the one possibly, you know, if, if you look at Lucille, really the two things she's got in the world are Thomas in that house. And at, at that moment, it's, it's all gone. She's, she's lost all of that. And so when you, when you, that idea of when you take someone and everything has been taken from them. What is a human being capable of? And stabbing someone through the head? Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. I mean, and it's something that happens in real life. Right. You know? So um, not totally, you know, uh, unrealistic, I think. Agreed. Yeah. That, oh, that scene was brutal. And it, it, uh, for me, what got me was not so much stabbing him with the knife. But him pulling it out, oh, yeah. it's like oh, and, and you know the blood starts to trickle down, and then the blood starts coming out of his tear duct. Uh, it, it was it was beautiful and sad all at the same time because you know is is that him crying that you know his sister, you know he he realizes now what his sister has done to him, you know for for his entire life really. Uh, or, or is it just the natural response, right, of pulling this knife out that you know your your tear duct would you know, bleed 
Yeah, like I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I there's even really think about it as him. Cry- like, I mean, obviously it was from his tear duct. I just kind of thought it was like, oh, there's a hole in your face and now blood shoots. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I saw so much symbolism throughout the movie. At that point, I was like, okay, I, I got, I got to start looking for shit here because there's, um, you know, pretty much everywhere you turned, there was, there was something else that you could like pick up and say, oh, okay, uh, let's, let's analyze this. You know, the. The, the literary analyst in me was was going fucking bonkers last right. night. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So, I think we agreed that we would do um, our rating system was going to be incestuous handjobs. Yes, out of five. Out of five. So, Daniel, out of five incestuous handjobs... How many incestuous handjobs do you give this? Hmm. So, and this this is this is the part of the this is the part of the podcast that I always kind of dread, right? Because you 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 look it's it's even if even if I had even when you have issues with something, sometimes we we get into talking about it and you and you start to peel back so much of the stuff and you re, I re, I always realize so much when we're when we're doing this um, and, and things that I missed and things that make me like it even more. So as we go through the episode, my, my idea for a rate, uh, my idea for what I'm going to rate it is always changing. Um, I'm not quite ready to, uh, to give this the five full um, incestuous HJs. Uh, there there's, there's a couple times when I, I felt like little things happened here and there that kind of took me out of the moment or um, sometimes the scene would be a little bit wonky um in a way that just that didn't seem to flow right um so i thought i had a rating in mind but after talking now and god after that amazing analysis of the the love between the 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 family in the house um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four and a half i'm gonna go four and a half incestuous hand jobs um because i can really <laughs> only think of like i said just a couple of times where just just little maybe like little pacing things, little things kind of irked me. Um, but I went into this completely blind. I really had no idea what to expect. I was not disappointed. Um, I, I think that it has lent itself very well to discussion. I think that it lends itself very well to uh, a rewatch or two. And so, um, so like I said, I'm only going to take away, I'm only going to take away a uh, half. So it's like four incestuous HJs and then like one where you didn't get to finish. Right. So we'll go four and a half. <laughs> um you you find such such a uh and you do it with ease man the way the way you bring those ridiculous ratings <laughs> into into your your explanation is is fantastic um i also am going to go four and a half um i bounced back and forth on whether to go five or not and what i've come up with is i need more time with the movie Right. So um, ask me in a year after I've watched this a couple more times, I might give it five. Uh, initially, after watching it last night, I thought I was going to go four. And as as I found that uh, I just couldn't get this movie out of my head, and as I tried to consider what these things that I couldn't get out of my head meant more and more, I I thought, okay, well, you know, there's clearly more to this. Right. Um, I, I've, I've, I've got to give it a little more. And as, as I started uh, discovering what, 
what these things meant to me in the movie, um, I was like, okay, well, there's there certainly is more. So I I, I think that like The Shining, this needs to be rewatched. Um, I I think immediately this is a more complete film than The Shining. Um, it may not be as layered or nuanced as as The Shining, uh, but uh, there are definitely similarities there. You can't talk about a haunted house movie without going right. to the shining. So um I I really like this. I think I think four and a half is where where it should be. Um please don't hate me, uh Senor de Toro. Um <laughs> I I'm a huge fan. Uh so please please come on our podcast. Um I, th- I think I think that's right. I think that's where it should be. Yeah, I, I did. Like I said, I, I, I did the same type of thing. Honestly, I really, I really thought when we got to this point, it was going to be four. But just as you know, you, you do that so often, right? When you, when you, when you really start, I this uh, something very similar happened to me when I saw the very first Paranormal Activity movie, mm-hmm. which was when I left the theater. I was like, that eh, was all right. And then when I started talking to people about it, I was like, holy shit! Like. I really, really like that, like way more than my initial kind of walk away. And that's 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 what I love doing with this podcast, because it's like you're pointing stuff out and, and we're getting it out there. And and yeah, so I think four and a half is exactly where it should be. Awesome. So there you have it. Crimson Peak, four and a half incestuous hand jobs uh, from the authority on how many incestuous hand jobs a uh, <laughs> uh, 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 a gothic ghost story should be uh, uh, Mr. Debona and myself. So <laughs> uh, please tune in to our other podcasts. Uh, we've got um, uh, we've got Mount Geekmore, we've got what's up bro. We've got um, comedy fitness we've got seasons oh and hang on i I learned there's a certain way we have to do this one last night while doing geek more and we've got kick flicks oh kick flicks all right we got Um, kick flicks i was i was chastised uh last night as i was on geek more with uh three of the four cast members of kick flicks and mentioned it without doing it like that so yes we've got kick flicks okay well uh then from now on they need to (laughs) when, when they talk about shiver they need to go and shiver a horror movie podcast. <laughs> they have to, they have to say it that way. Um, and I'm going to make sure they do that. Otherwise I will not indulge them in, in that um, ludicrous behavior. Um, so I think, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, make sure you follow all of our social media. If you head to shiverpod.com, it will link you to uh, our geek bro website. If there's any podcasts we forgot to mention here, um, you'll find them there. Not only are they the ones we talked about, there are older ones uh, that we used to do that are that are still around. I'm not sure if all the episodes are streaming or not. But like I said, if you head to shiverpod.com, that will take you straight to our part. And then from mm-hmm. there, that is the gateway to the uh, the Geek Bro Network, which is located at geekbro.net. Uh, make sure you follow all of our social media at shiverpod. Um, we're trying to get better about posting a day or two before once we decide when we're going to record and what movie it's going to be. So uh, we said it's like a book club. Now you can watch it yep. before, then you can come in and you can be part of the conversation. Uh, also, that's where you're going to find out. Uh, David and I have odd schedules. My son's playing ball now, so we can't guarantee a day of the week. So if you follow all of our social media, you'll know when we're going to record. So uh, likely next week we will be doing Conjuring, <laughs> although likely 
not <laughs> follow follow our social media so uh so that you can find out what movie will be replacing the conjuring next week um who knows uh maybe we'll do uh don't look now maybe we'll do evil dead the 40th anniversary of evil dead's coming up so okay. I, I feel i feel like we, we got to do that i think it's like the first or second week of october um and uh, yeah, so and that you know, also we've been talking. We've got some. We've got some great, uh, specifically Halloween themed uh, horror movies that we've got coming down the pike for uh, October as well. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And uh, September's half over, so yeah, it really so, is. So, so we, we we gotta we we get we gotta get cracking on that. So <laughs> uh, so bring your uh, bring your your candy bags and your masks. Uh, join us in full costume because uh, we'll, we'll be joining in on the festivities. Absolutely. So on behalf of everyone here at Shiver, fright you very much.